0: thought we would talk a little bit about the idea of the resurrection and sort of life in the resurrected Christ. Um, and as, as we, we've talked about, I think, before, when we look at the icon of the resurrection, this one, I'll laser beam it, we know that, we know that th- they always depict the icon like this because it isn't just a matter of Christ resurrecting, but that he resurrects us with him. So that we're in this resurrected Christ. And so that becomes a very important part of our life, especially during the 50 days when we think a lot about being in the resurrected Christ, right? And the church over and over keeps saying, Christos Anisti, Christ is risen. Oh, I should have started that way. Christ is risen. I'll just pretend I started that way and I remembered. Um, And so the church is constantly trying to remind us, you know, this is. This is what these 50 days are about, being in this Christ. And it reminds me of the verse that St. Paul says, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's kind of the goal. So this great quote by St. Carlos of Jerusalem, St. Cyril, he says, just as by melting two candles together you get one piece of wax, so I think one who receives the flesh and blood of Jesus is fused together with him By this communion, and the soul finds that he is in Christ, and Christ is in him. Wow. I love this quote. So imagine you take two candles, and you melt them together, and you get one candle. Right? And one of the candles, you know, is a nice scented candle. Right? It's the Jesus candle, and then we're like the lame candle. Right? And now you put both of them together. There's like 700 people in the hall escaping from the adult meeting. Can we close the doors, please? Thank you so much. Um, and I imagine that this is how we are with Christ, right? That we're these two pieces of wax, two candles, and we become a new candle, right? And if even if you think about, you know, the the, the what the Church gives us, right? It gives us this the, the body and the blood. And when Christ did it on the on the night of the Last Supper, He gave us bread. Right? And bread is one of those things you eat, your body breaks it down, and it literally goes into every one of your cells. Right? It just morphs into you. Right? It's like this life morphs into you. You absorb it. Right? And it moves into every part of your being. Right? And same, same with the wine. And in fact, you know, in, in Arabic, uh, the word bread and life are practically the same word. Right, Bread is aish and life is aish, right? And so I'm sure that Christ, and this is the same in, 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 in Hebrew, I'm sure as Christ was speaking, there's kind of a play on words when he said bread of life, right? Aish, aish, right? So this is what we're going for. This is this morphing into one. So we absorb the characteristics of God. Absorb the characteristics of God. So as we enter into life with God, we become like him. Right? We take on his properties. I remember Abunab Kamil, Kemal, um, the Abunab Kamil, the original Abunab Kamil. people would say something to him very interesting when they met him. They said, you know, we didn't know who Jesus was until we met you. They said that to him all the time. Right? We kind of heard about Jesus, but we didn't know who he was until we met you. So we talk like him. We think like him. We act like him. We understand like him. And most importantly, we love like him. And that is the goal of christian life right sometimes i think about what's the role of sunday school in the church like what is it supposed to do is it supposed to teach us a bunch of facts about history and about some saints and about some bible stories in the end if it can convey that we are the body of christ and that we live in him and he lives in us then sunday school succeeded because that's everything that's that's everything right that's ultimately what drives us And so this is why we understand theology, right? We study theology not so we can become scholars and go to the seminary and get a a degree at the clerkeia and say, I have a degree and all this stuff. And then it becomes a source of even pride and arrogance. You know, I know this about God. What do you know about God kind of thing? But rather we study theology so that we know who it is we're supposed to be like. We want to understand who this God is, who this Christ is. That's the point. That's why we read the books and study the things. Not so much we can have knowledge and we can preserve the tradition and we can give on to our children and teach them the things that. No, no, no. It's so that me, I know who my God is, and I know who I'm going to be like. So who is this God? That is our Creator and our Father, and the one being looked, up, and the one being that we l- end up looking like. Right? And, and we see this re- the, even in his son and his, fa- and, and, and his kid, right? You notice, I, I, I may have told this story before, but I have this friend who loves the Lakers, right? And his son um, grew up loving the Lakers, and he was so happy that his son loved the Lakers. He's like, yes, that's my boy, right? He wears purple, okay? And that was very, very important to him, right? And you see this, you know, when, when a son is like, a dad is like, you know, some super deacon guy, Right? And his son goes up and says, you know, and you know, he belts it out on the microphone. The dad's like, ah, that's my son. Right? He's like me. Okay? And this is ultimately what we're doing as parents. Right? We want our kids, we don't, maybe we don't think of it this way, but that's what we're doing. We're trying to make them like us. That's all we do, isn't it? Every time they say something we wouldn't say, what do we say? Don't say that. Every time they act in a way we wouldn't act, we say, don't act like that, right? And when they act in a way we would like, we say, oh, that was very good. So what are we doing? We're making them look like us in our image and our likeness, that we, we get this characteristic from God, because God makes us in his image, in his likeness. And so he tells us, don't act like this, act like that. And we think to ourselves, ah, oh, rules, and, you know, you're just trying to control me. This is what teenagers say, right? You're just, God's just trying to control us, and the church is trying to, con- no, no, no. It's a It's a dad. And the dad saying, hey, I'm like this. I'm not like that. I love. I don't hate. I don't judge. I don't curse. I don't attack others. I build up. I strengthen. Be like me. Be like your dad. Right? And that's ultimately what the Christian life is, in, is, right? This discipleship of being like dad. Saint Augustine says, a Christian is a mind through which Christ thinks, a heart through which Christ loves, a voice through which Christ speaks, and a hand through which Christ helps. So it's like the whole being of the person becomes an extension of who Christ is, of what he is. So my hands become Christ's hands, my mouth becomes Christ's mouth, my heart becomes Christ's heart. Right? I, he lives in me, the two candles have morphed, Okay? And now it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The way I act, the way I talk, the way I interact, it's, it's Christ. It's not me. Right? And the less of me is the better. Right? The less dust we have, the more temple of the Holy Spirit, the better. And that's ultimately what Christian life is. Be less. Less of you. Less ego. Less desires. Less will. Less controlling. Less All the things that we do as humans be less, right? And let the kingdom of heaven that's inside of you come out. I did not do this. This is PowerPoint. This is pretty cool. By analogy, Christ is to Christians as the sun is to the moon. This is St. Athanasius. As the sun is the exclusive source of light, so God is the sole source of glory. As the moon reflects light, so believers reflect God's glory. So what's St. Athanasius saying? He's saying, be the moon, right? The moon has no light. The moon is lightless. It's a rock. It reflects the sun, right? So he's saying, we're kind of like the moon. We reflect God's light. Us, ourselves, we're just dust. We're darkness. But when we reflect God's light, we become a source of light. At night, what is the only source of light? The moon, right? So in the darkness of this world it turns out the moon is the only source of light because we can't see the sun, right? And so in the darkness of this world, the people, us, become light. What did Christ say? You are the light of the world, So our goal is to be the light of the world, and the world is what? In darkness. And so God gives us this beautiful meditation in nature. He said, just like the moon lights up at night, In the darkness, you light up and reflect me for the world. So that's what we're called to be. We're called to be the moon. We're called to reflect the glory of God. The Buddha Matthew writes, So God created man in his own image so that man should bear witness to himself, to God's self. Say that again. So that man should bear witness in himself to God's self. So I bear image I bear in myself God's image to everyone. Once man senses this, believes this, and orients himself towards it, then he immediately enters into a state of harmony with God. Once you get that the whole point of your life is to be the moon, is to reflect God's light, is to be the image of God to people, then you just fall into harmony. That's it. I get my calling. I get my job. I know what I'm, what I'm on earth for. Why am I on earth? I'm here to be a moon. I'm here to reflect God's light to everyone. And that's what gives us harmony and peace in our lives. I can barely read this. St. John Chrysostom, there would be no need for sermons if our lives were shining, were shining. There would be no need for words if we bore witness with our deeds. There would be no more pagans if we were true Christians. It's very strong. All right? There would be no more pagans if we were really Christians. There would be no need for sermons if we were sermons, right? And so what he's really saying here is some of the things I said earlier where we're supposed to be the moon and we're supposed to bear uh, witness to God, you don't do that so that you can be the moon and bear witness to God right? Sometimes, you know, young people will kind of get confused, and they'll say, you know, I want to be a light of the world so everyone at school can see me, and they'll know how great God is, and then they'll change, and I'll make them all into Christians because they'll see how awesome I am. And that, I mean, it's nice, but it's just off a little bit, right? Because we don't do that so that we can change people. We just do. We just be. We just, we just reflect God, right? We morph into him, and then people see, and they just change. And believe me, I can tell you, just like you can spot fake people, other people can spot fake people. <laughs> right? we don't, we're not out to give sermons by pretending and saying things that don't necessarily make any sense. And one of the things that maybe we'll talk about at some point is, you know, there, there's so much hatred out there in the name of Christ. And then we, we, we finish it off with something like, well, we, we hate the sin, but we love the sinner. Do you? Do you love the sinner? Think about that. Because we say it all the time. Right? No, 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 I, I hate the sin, but I love the sinner. I don't think you do love the sinner. Because if you love the sinner, they could tell you love them. And they would be open to you. And they would feel your warmth. Like the Samaritan woman who was a sinner and when Christ was done with her she just changed 180 degrees she became a missionary All right sometimes when we go and we interact with sinners they don't become missionaries they say i hate christians i hate your church you're a bigot you're a racist you're hateful you're judgmental am i wrong am i wrong what's the what's the reputation of the right wing in the united states is it good when you say i'm a christian people go, oh, that's great? Or what do they say? Oh, you're a bigot. You're judgmental. You're one of those hateful people. Yeah, I know you. That's, what, that's what's happened. That's what America thinks of Christians. Why? Because we say things like, oh, I, I, I hate sin, and I'm going to condemn sin, and I'm going to attack sin, and I'm going to talk about sin, but I love the sinner. And the on- honest answer is you don't really love the sinner. When we see the sinner come into church, the youth has been away from church. He's got long hair. He's got an earring. He's got purple hair. She's wearing whatever. We look at her, and we don't think, God, I love you. You think, what are you doing? Why are you dressed like that? How could you come? How could your parents let you look like that? You're going to corrupt my kids. My kids are going to look at you, and they're going to want to be like you. So do I love her? Do I love him? No. Can they tell? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do they come back? No. Why? Because they can tell. They can tell who loves them. So one of God's characteristics is he's a creator. He creates. And if I'm supposed to take on the characteristics of God, all of them, then one of my characteristics has to be creator. So he builds up. He transforms. He develops from less to more. He moves from darkness to light. He purifies and refines, the psalms say, like silver refined. This is what God does. He sees, today the story of the the Samaritan woman is perfect. I didn't plan it, but that's perfect, right? He sees, he approaches, he comes in very carefully, and when he's done with whatever it is he has to do, whatever that person was, becomes better, becomes more light, becomes built up, becomes stronger, becomes purified. Becomes more confident, more loving, more happy. That's, that's what Christ does when he interacts. Every time, read about it. Every time. He comes into contact, you know, when, after he came into contact with Matthew, what did Matthew do? He threw him a party with all the other tax collectors. He's like, you guys got to meet this guy. Right? That's what he does. The Samaritan woman goes, tells the whole city of Sikar, you got to meet this guy. Right? Our interactions sometimes don't end that way. Right, because we need to tell the truth so we need to tell you what it's like we shame people we attack people we use the gospel as a weapon we use church as a weapon we know we say well i don't want to enable someone's bad behavior so i have to let them know what's wrong i have to tell them that that's not okay i have to you know make, they have to step up a little bit i can't you know enable them and i think we love to say i don't want to enable you when really what we should say is, I don't want to love you the way you are, All right? Does, does God love sinners? Does God love murderers? Does God love liars? Does God love gay people? He does, doesn't he? So if God loves a murderer, can I walk up to a murderer and say, I love you as a murderer? Is that okay to say? I mean, if God says it, can I say it? Or am I enabling murder? So then how do I manifest and reflect this characteristic of God? What's my role here? How and whom do I create and build? That's the answer. I love this picture. I don't know if you can see it, but the beggar has a hole in his hand. It's a, it's, a, it's a statue somewhere. And so the answer is the poor. Right? And Christ put the poor on earth. St. John Chrysostom has this great line. He says, God put poor people on earth so that rich people could go to heaven. Because the only chance pe- rich people have to go to heaven is poor people. Kind of like, don't worry about the poor people. They're fine. I'd worry about you because you're the one with the money. And so this obviously is, is, is plays into what when Christ said, you know, whoever gives to the least of these gives to me. And so then, who are the poor and needy? Is it just the people in downtown LA, downtown Santa Ana, people without you know, living cardboard boxes? Those are obviously poor and needy. Just the poor people in Egypt, they're obviously poor and needy. All the poor people in the rest of the world, they're all poor and needy. Is it just the poor and needy? Who's poor and needy? All of us. All of us. God is long-suffering and merciful to you. This you experience many times every day. Be long-suffering and merciful to your brethren. Which brethren? The poor and needy? Who are they? Everyone. Everyone you've ever met every line, every DMV line, every in and out burger place, every place at work, every secretary, every boss, all of them, broken, poor, and needy, right? And all of us now, as we start to get older, we start to get into each other's lives, and we see that in every home, every home, poor and needy, they're everywhere, right? When someone says, I don't know who to serve, I don't know, you know, who should I serve? It's like, stick your arm out and touch someone. Yes, that one is poor and needy and broken and needs service. Absolutely. Everyone. Everyone you meet. This quote by St. Isaac. Spread your cloak over those who fall into sin, each and every one, and shield them. Spread your cloak over the people who sin and shield them. I want to compare and contrast that with the, with the world we live in. Right? Now we do exactly the opposite. I was stunned when the priest back in last summer was accused of, uh, I'm sure you guys heard about this, was accused of um, uh, sexual harassment and, and I, when I was speaking with the youth, they were all posting about this priest, I don't know where he's from, Florida or something, who was accused of sexual harassment. And I told them, I said, look, um, we don't know what happened, do we? I mean, there's two people that know what happened, him and her and God. So you don't know what happened. So you saw this post come across your Instagram feed, priest accused of this. Here's his name, here's his picture, this man has children, this man has a wife, this man has relatives, this man has priests who are colleagues, this man has a bishop, and what you did is you said, you know, I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to forward this to every human being I know. I don't know if this is true, but I'm going to tell everyone I know about this. Why? Because I want to raise awareness. Is that consistent with St. Isaac the Syrian's quote? Put your cloak over people who are sinning. I mean, half of Instagram and TikTok now is let's point out bad people. Let's shame them. Let's attack them. The bigots, the racists, anyone who does anything that is bad. And I will hide behind my righteousness, my goodness, and I will attack people from a position of righteousness. That's not what Saint Isaac said. That's not what Jesus did. That's not what Christians have ever done. Spread your cloak, your own cloak, over those who fall into sin, each and every one, and shield them. Saint Macarius says, you can't judge even an open harlot. Don't even judge an open harlot. We have no right to judge anyone. We only build. We build up. We move from darkness to light. We create. That's our role. That's what God does. And I'm in the image and likeness of God. So, the, the, the approach that we are seeing now over and over again of attack, breakdown, we have to point out the truth to the bad people of the world. We have to tell them why they're wrong. We have to. Does it work? Is it effective? It's not what Jesus did, except with the Pharisees. Does it even work? I mean, you guys you guys are married, you know. Go to your spouse and attack them. See how that goes for you. Tell them everything that's wrong with them. Point out all their flaws. Shame them over and over again. It works great. Instant results, right? That's sarcastic. No instant results. Fight that night. And then the next day, then the next day. So what happens at liturgy? PowerPoint made that circle. It's pretty cool. I become a part of Christ, and I become a part of each other. Right? So when I take communion, I don't just become a part of the body of Christ. Because if I'm a part of the body of Christ, and you're a part of the body of Christ, then me and you are a part of one another. So my love for you and my protection of you when St. Isaac says spread your cloak over the sinner, who's the sinner? Part of me. Am I am I actually just protecting myself? Aren't we all one body? Right? Can can this hand, you know, if this hand is hurt, you know, this hand say, "Hey, I don't care. I'm the left hand. I don't care about the right hand." Who cares about the right hand? Right hand sucks. Let's focus on no, the left hand protects the right hand or the right arm or whatever, right? So when I spread my cloak over a sinner, who's that sinner? He's part of me. He's part of the body. I'm part of the body. He's another cell in the same body, right? Can, can you know, can, can then the pancreas get cancer and then the brain go, oh, thank God it wasn't me. <laughs> you know, I, I dodged a bullet there. The pancreas got cancer. Let's watch him burn. We do that, you know, because when we hear about another kid who messes up, we go, phew, glad it wasn't my kid. Glad it. Glad it wasn't my kid. I'll let that one just stand. Nothing makes one like Christ as taking care of others. Sounds really long. Okay, so I'll, I can end with this one. So the, the question becomes, how do I serve? How do I, how do I take care of others? It's a long quote. Think She's wonderful. I'll read it from here. Often, when we see another soul more enlightened than us, immediately we conclude that Jesus loves us less than the enlightened soul and that we cannot be called to the same perfection. I am a little brush that Jesus has chosen in order to paint his image in the souls he has entrusted to my care. Did you guys hear that? I'm a little brush that Jesus has chosen in order to paint what? His image in the souls he has entrusted to my care, not me, in others. The first brush is great and useful as it applies the general tints and covers the canvas entirely in a very short time. Another brush, a much smaller one, he uses for details. God may wish to do a great work in the souls of his children through others, yet I may be the very small brush he he deans to use afterwards for the smallest details." So what's he saying? He's saying, well, you know, St. John Chrysostom went up there and gave a sermon to a thousand people. Big brush. Right? He may have changed a lot of people. He may have made that first dent in a lot of people. But he's not done. Right? Just like when you paint an icon, you can't just use one brush. Right? Everyone takes a turn. Right? Every person has a role in someone else's life. But the key is the brush is not a scalpel. It's a brush. So, the brush has to add and build and paint and beautify and purify and highlight. You know, we go in with the scalpel, with the hammer, right? And we say, This is ugly. The icon of Christ isn't painted well. I know what I'll do. I'll hit it with a hammer, that'll fix it. That's what we do. No one can feel hatred towards those for whom he prays for. I'll let that one stand. Oh, this one's really good. This is Anthony Bloom. He's one of my favorite. Unless we look at a person and see the beauty there is in that person, we can contribute nothing to him. So when you look at someone, you have to see beauty in them. You have to or else we can contribute nothing to him. One does not help a person by discerning what is wrong, what is ugly, what is distorted. Christ looked at everyone he met, at the prostitute, at the thief, and saw the beauty hidden there. Perhaps it was distorted, perhaps damaged, but it was beauty nonetheless. And what he did was to call out this beauty. And this has to be our approach as Christians. We deal with a lot of people. We see a lot of people in this world, a lot of broken people all kinds of problems. And if we call out ugly and we call out distortion, it doesn't fix it. It's just like seeing a a painting half done and saying, I know how to fix this painting. I'll hit it with a hammer. That'll fix it. It's crazy, but we do it. Leave all human injustices to the Lord, for God is the judge. But as to yourself, be diligent in loving everybody with a pure heart. I like that first part. Leave all human injustice to the Lord. This is the opposite of everything we saw last summer where I have to take the law into my own hands. I have to take justice into my own hands. I have to find people who are bad and shame them and point them out and, 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 and raise awareness to all of the ugliness that's out there in the world. Let God do that. He's the judge, it turns out, not us. We have one job. We love unconditionally. And then finally, this last quote, which I can't read at all. We need to be careful not to harbor any resentment against those who harm us, but rather to pray for them with love. Whatever any of our fellow man does, we should never think evil of him. We need always to have thoughts of love and always to think good of others. Look at St. Stephen the first martyr. He prayed, Lord, do not hold this sin against them, and we need to do the same. So to wrap up, I think I'm out of slides. Oh, I have more. Okay. Um, To wrap up, just to kind of bring it all back, just as two pieces of wax come together, we morph with Christ. We become like him. We think like him. We talk like him. We act like him. Not because we're trying necessarily, but that's just the outcome of that process. And in that, we take on his characteristics. One of them being this one, the one to create, to build others, to prop other people up, to, if you will, be the tiny brush that adds the details to their life without destroying the canvas that's already there. Now the basics that I want to say, don't forget about the basics. Man, this font's really small. If you want to help the church, this is one of my favorite quotes. Sorry, I had to put it in. If you want to help the church, it is better to try to correct yourself rather than be looking to correct others. This is so helpful for all of us because we all see problems in the church. I mean, not with the archdeacons, but the other people. And, and we try to correct them, right? If only you know, the servant did this, if the abuna did this, if the amin khidma did this, if the bishop did that, if the pope did this, if the, the guy who made the hamel did it right. And they're just, they're disasters, all of them. Broken Hamel makers. And so what we try to do, (laughs) I mean, did you see the Hamel today? cried out loud. I mean, I can point it out. I can, you know, I'm just saying, we're live streaming. Um, (laughs) And he's like, I'm never going to make it again. I got up at three in the morning for this. (laughs) I'm helping you go to heaven right now. You're you're welcome. (laughs) What are you talking about? Oh, so when we, when we see the problems in the church and we think, you know what we need to do to fix the problems in the church? We need to fix the problems in the church. Elder Paiso says that's not how you fix the problems in the church. Just fix yourself. Focus on yourself. It's so simple. And if everyone did that, if everyone did that, it would work. Right? Because we know what changing other people, how that works for us, doesn't, don't we? How many people have tried to change other people? right how many how many you know wives after 30 years of marriage you know say hey, did you change your husband no he's the same like he was 30 years ago I didn't make a didn't make a dent right and that's the person you're closest to you can't even change your spouse I'll go a step further you can't even change yourself it's really hard to just change you that takes a couple of decades of work now you're gonna say let me go change the bishop let me go change the Pope. Let me go change the world. What are you, nuts? It's not going to happen. Right. So the way we change the church, just be better. That's it. That's the only approach that works. I'll read it and then I'll be done. If you manage to correct yourself, one small part of the church is immediately corrected. <laughs> Naturally, if everyone did the same, the body of the church would be in good health. But today, people concern themselves with anything but themselves. And this is what I see the youth doing all the time. And I try to point out to them all the time. They concern themselves with everyone but themselves. Let me point out racial injustice. Let me point out all the sins of all the people. I'm not saying those sins aren't there. I'm just saying it's not helpful for you to point them out. Work on your injustice. Work on your racism. Work on your lack of tolerance, your own lack of forgiveness. Is it there? Yeah, it's there. Just, if you want, I can point it out to you, right? And the youth are so focused on everyone else's that they don't see their own. But today, people concerns, concern themselves with anything but themselves. You see, judging others is easy, whereas working on yourself takes effort. And judging others also, not only is it easy, it's fun, it's enjoyable, makes you feel really good about yourself, right? And you can stand in a crowd and go, can you believe what the Republicans or the Democrats or whatever are doing? Oh, yeah, I can't believe it. Let's talk about how great we are. That, that fills a good 45 minutes. It's a great conversation. We all walk away happy. We're all like, yeah, the X party is the best party. Of course it is, yeah, 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 yeah. We all agree, and we're done. I feel good, you feel good, everyone feels good who's interested in hearing about my own ugliness anybody have any questions comments criticisms complaints conundrums qualms anyone thoughts sadness happiness joy okay glory be to God forever amen let's stand up and pray make us order that you say with all thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thank you, God, for thy, thy word. Give us this day.